Hey, one more thing before you go. What's it like to create a fantasy world that draws millions into a realm full of knights, magic, monsters, heroes, and villains? Stay tuned because we're going to have a conversation that's going to open your mind, possibly blow it, about the magic of creating such a place. We're going to have to explore the world of fantasy writing and the creative minds behind it. My name is Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Hey, I'm thrilled to have J.V. Hillard as my guest. Hillard is a best-selling epic fantasy writer. He's an author of the Warminster Saga, which chronicles the epic tale of a realm filled with brave knights, harrowing adventure, and legendary struggles. In his own epic tale, Hillard was born in the foothills of a once great mountain chain and raised as a highlander in the land forged by three mighty rivers. His father instilled in him a strong work ethic, while his mother, I love this, bio, by the way. <laughs> Mother Thank nurtured you. his compassion and healing abilities. His warrior uncle taught him the basics of life and creating creative writing, which would later become his passion. Hilliard's training and education prepared him to write the tale of Warminster, a world filled with magic, mystery, and wonder. He lives in the city of silver cups, hypocaloids, and golden triangles with his wife, a ranger of the diamond. Together they built their castle not far from the countryside, guarded by their two horse hounds, Thor and McLeod. <laughs> I'm excited to delve into Hillard's creative process and learn more about this inspiration for building a fantasy world full of characters, mystery, and more. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You, you and I, I read, I had to share that with my family and my kids when I read your bio and what you have up on there was, I said, look, I, I've got like 350 interviews under my belt and that was the most epic bio that I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a funny story behind it. I was writing uh, to a similar show to ask if I could come on and the host said, look, I get a lot of requests to come on the show. So if you're going to submit a bio to me, make sure that it pops. And what I decided to do is just take my standard bio, which is, this is me. This is where I'm from. I'm married. Here's my, you know, whatever. And I turned it into, I cast myself as a character in my own novels. And I, so I hit everything. But if you, if you decode that it, you can find out that the, the city on the three rivers is Pittsburgh and Highlander was my high school mascot. And I went to the cathedral, which was the University of Pittsburgh. And my wife was a ranger of the diamond, meaning that she, she basically plays shortstop. <laughs> so, mm. and I just had fun just coding everything up. But if, if you're, if you've got a coder ring, you could decode it and find out everything <laughs> you need about me. Yeah. But uh, this is the worst part about it. The guy called me and is like, I'm not having you on my show. What did you do? This isn't a bio. Or, and I said, you asked for exactly this. You asked for something that was creative. So I went out of my way and now I'm the chronicler of Warminster and not just Joe, right? And he didn't have me on my show. Oh, we did. Well, it's his <laughs> loss. We'll call it his loss. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I, I agree with you. I will say that I did figure out where you were from only because that's where my family's from. My father oh, right. was born in Pittsburgh, went to the University of Pittsburgh. Um, my great, great, great grandparents, um, we've been, they've been Pittsburgh from way then, uh, Allegheny actually, uh, most of all of them in Allegheny County and that area. So I was kind of familiar with that. I went, hey, that's pretty damn cool because I figured that part out. Some of that like, other stuff I didn't quite figure out, but wow, the way it fit together. So brilliant. That's all I can say. The guy, the guy well, lost out. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And everybody <laughs> likes the bio except for him. So it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we started to say in, in what you'd said, pardon your bio, um, I always like to start in the beginning and kind of where you grew up. So we know you grew up in the Pittsburgh area. So uh, we'll say that again. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in, in Pittsburgh, uh, went to school, undergrad in Pittsburgh, graduate school in Michigan, uh, and then spent my first, you know, six years of professional career as a, I worked for the, a U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania on the Armed Services Committee and then started a, um, a lobbying shop doing work for defense and technology companies as a, as a lobbyist in D.C. for a number of years. And then COVID hit. 
and I had nothing to do. DC was shut down for a year and a half and my wife knows what kind of a busybody I am. And so she wagged a finger at me and said, you're not going to sit around doing nothing. You're going to drive me nuts. So do something. And writing a book was always on my bucket list of things to do. Uh, and as a result, you know, I started to go back and put together a story and I had all the time in the world to do it. Uh, and I shared it with a uh, professor friend of mine and she loved it, said, this needs some work, get an editor and I'll bet you someone will publish it. And that's exactly what happened. You know, it took about a year to get from book one to book two, but you know, it was, uh, you know, an, an exciting experience. And now I'm on to book four and, and a second series and things are going really well. So that's sort of the beginning. It all started here in little old Pittsburgh and, and rambled on from there. Well, you know, it's amazing. There's a lot of writers that come out of Pittsburgh. I told you before we started that my father was uh, born there and he was a writer. Yes. Uh, loved his job. He was a journalist and was working on a novel before he passed. But um, yeah, I love Pittsburgh. It's, uh, I have many childhood memories for Pittsburgh. This journey has been uh, probably a lot more interesting than working you know, with the, uh, with the Senator probably. Yeah, this has been, uh, eye opening, you know, for the first 20 years of my professional career, you know, I was basically, you know, it, very confrontational. Uh, it's a very competitive realm, as you can imagine. Um, a lot of type A personalities in places like DC. Yeah. Uh, so every day you get up on your best guard, right? You carry you put on your armor, you put on your shield, you go and defend, your clients, or in some cases, I was defending the senator's positions on things. Um, and then I stepped out and did this, and it's an entire different world. Uh, people in this realm love to collaborate. They want to see you succeed. They want to be part of your success. Uh, and it's it's a strange dichotomy. It's completely different. And now I wake up, and all I need to do is write and promote my stuff. And I'm, now I'm returning the favor and paying it forward. And there's a lot of authors that are going through the same thing I did three years ago and need to learn how to take those next steps. And, you know, people were there for me, including folks like you that gave me my first interviews with my, my brand new book that no one had read. Right. And they, they still had me on and were helping me out. Um, and the connections was just fantastic. And it's truly night and day. There's no other way to describe it. It's a, it's a community that lifts you up here and it doesn't beat you down. The creative world, I think, is a, a much more nurturing world with regard to that. I think that uh, we all we all know that we've been there. We all struggle with it, and, and we always give each other a helping hand, which I really, which I appreciate, even from my perspective. Somebody's always there to push me from behind, or pull me from pull me up from the front, or you know, walk beside me and help me help me navigate the path, which I'm grateful for as well. I think that this is uh, you've evolved into a very. Uh, um, unique world actually because your fantasy world you get to create worlds you get to create something out of out of everything so that it comes out of your mind but it allows other people to experience it as if it were real which is like wow that's fantastic it's got to be how does that how that feel when you get your first book published uh humbling right uh in part it was gratifying to see something that had been rattling around in my head for so long finally hit pages and show up in ebook form and audiobook form and that people liked the stories that I was, you know, telling. Uh, and then it gets even more humbling when you go to a book sh show or you, you know, are at a library show or you go to a convention and, uh, you know, people come up to you and they give you fan art, you know, art that they drew your characters that they in their head how they depicted them from your novels or they ask you if they can write fan fiction i had one guy make a baseball card he literally collected baseball cards of his favorite authors and then would travel to see them and have them sign their own card and on the front there was a picture of me and on the back there was my bio and it was just like a baseball card except it was an author card and he kept them in the plastic sleeves and a binder like collectors do for that kind of stuff. And when that happens to you, um, it changes the way you think, right? And now you realize, and first of all, it's energizing. There's no other way to put it. It literally, you know, it grabs you and it says people care um, so much about what I've written that they've paid money to come and see me and to tell me what they like and don't like, or they've reached out to me or they've drawn something and shared it with me that I'm happy to put on my website or do social media around. And, you know, I think gratifying, humbled, 
all of, I mean, there, those are the words I would use to describe it. And then it energizes you. Once you, you talk to them, you want to write the next one and the next one and the next one. And they want you to, too. And it kind of becomes a team effort. It's the weirdest thing. You know, you just you want to write stories that they like to read and will continue to read them. Uh, and you want them to come back and tell you what they liked and, frankly, what they didn't like so you can make a better story the next time around. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's honestly really amazing. I know you obviously went to college to, to for a different direction, so your your path in life changed to this. Had you, had, even as a child, had you ever thought about being an author? Yeah, uh, actually, it was the first thing I wanted to do. Uh, so I, I have a really kind of a an American childhood, right? My father was a um, uh, a steel worker, as you can imagine that in Pittsburgh, right? And my mom was a nurse. Uh, but my uncle, who was like a second father to me, was paralyzed in the war. He was a Marine. And when he came home, there's very little that he could do as a quadriplegic. But some of the things he could do involved forms of escapism, right? So he would write and submit horror stories and pulp fiction to local magazines when that was the thing to do. Uh, and he also bought me a game of Dungeons and Dragons when I was little. And we started a role play and I fell in love with fantasy um, and I looked up to him, right? He was like a second dad to me and what he was doing, I wanted to do. And I found out I was kind of good at it. And, uh, you know, so my storytelling became dungeon mastering in a very nerdy way for a game. Uh, and I took a bunch of creative writing classes when I was in high school, uh, but then real life takes over and, and it's hard to make money that way. And I ended up putting my skills to the test and, you know, through college, it was poli sci econ. There was a lot of writing. Uh, for that. So I was good at it. And that became a job on the Hill, which became a job representing people back to the Hill. Uh, and then when that hiccup happened and everybody was at home, uh, I tried to make a silver lining out of it. And I launched a career 20 years later than I thought I would be. Um, and I wish I could go back and rewind time and, and start again. Cause I, that, it would have been the right thing to do. I'm in, we're in the right place now for sure. And um, you know, I owe that to my time with, uh, my uncle and growing up with him and emulating him wanted to be a lot of what he could do. And those were things that he could, you know, escape his own condition. So and I think that, yeah, that that really gets to the heart of things, right? I mean, people read books and see movies for entertainment purposes. They want to escape their nine to fives. Right. And so I'm providing them an outlet to do that. And so when they fall in love with my characters or they enjoy reading the stories or listening to them, you know, through an audio book, a lot of that stuff, you know, People get excited about that, and like I said, they'll they'll travel to see me, to talk to me about it because I've affected them in that way, and and I I really enjoy that, and it's it's a different lifestyle, it's a different career, but I don't care. I mean, I made a ninety degree turn, and I'm not going back. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you get to do what you love, and your passion has come out forward, and you know, we all want, we all strive for a job that we can we can do that's our passion. You know, when you find something, not everybody get that luxury of being able to take their passion and turn it into profit from that perspective. So, yeah, well done, well done, well done. Um, you, so, Dungeons and Dragons were part of your uh, part of your motivation. Do you watch? I mean, my kids grew up with um, Harry Potter, of course. You know, and I, that's part of fantasy world, Narnia, and uh, Middle Earth, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. So my kids grew up yeah. with that. So I, I kind of obviously got indoctrinated. I'm an older guy, but you know, I got indoctrinated within those realms, so to speak, with my kids, which gave us an opportunity to kind of bond a little bit and have something to kind of do. We didn't get into Dungeons and Dragons very much, but and most of that was because you know, I was a cop already. Somebody come over, I just wanted to relax or watch TV or you know just spend time with the kids. But we did it through the other things like Harry Potter and, and Narnia and, and those things. Um, and now I'm, I'm kind of lost in the wheel of time. Yes. I, I love the wheel of time. Um, and which is, I think it just came into a second season. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But so, so I have found my way back to fantasy, but from, from my adult perspective, I should say. Yeah, you know, and all of those things you mentioned are right tap dead center into my genre, right? So as a kid, Harry Potter, as a kid, Chronicles of Narnia, as a kid, The Hobbit and Middle Earth and Lord okay, of the Rings, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then Dungeons and Dragons followed with that because it was a gamification of that. And then, of course, video games and, and things. And as you get older and you become an adult, 
you know, the, the darker fantasy stuff like Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time. And, uh, you know, you can go through them, you know, the Dark Elf series, the Dragonlance series. There are so many good yeah. fantasy novels out there. And, and the reason it's so popular is because of, you know, people like to escape into it, right? Like you did, you know, you, you got that oh, yeah. job. It was a difficult job, a thankless job, I'm sure, on many days. Uh, and you get to come home, spend time with your kids and or unplug and, and watch something and cast yourself into a, if it, into a different realm. And I think that's what people like to do. And so whether it's sci-fi or some of the dystopian stuff that was really popular over the last 10 years, like Divergent and Hunger Games, which were like quasi-fantasy, more like, a, you know, kind of like a magical realism or an urban fantasy is what they would probably be uh, hyped, like hopped into or like a dystopian fantasy. You know, those things, you know, they, they ebb and flow, but those are classics. Like The Hobbit is a classic. People always return to that. Harry Potter has quickly become a classic and people will always return to that. Uh, and I think those are nice gateways, you know, to books like mine and, and others. And you reading The Wheel of Time or watching the show, you know, folks like Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson and, you know, that anybody that's been lucky enough to have their intellectual property cast on the big screen or the silver screen or the small screen for like Netflix you know, or in this case, prime video, you, you, you've got to be happy with that. I mean, that's that you get to see your product in a second medium cast through the eyes of a director and a crew and a, you know, a crew of producers in a way that honors the art that you've written. Uh, and you, that's a humbling on a different level to me. Right. So, you know, that's, that's a aspiring goal somewhere where I'd like to land. Uh, but those guys have done it and, and my hat's off to them because you get to see something come to life. And not everybody reads, right? Some people like movies. Like my my wife doesn't read. She listens to audiobooks, though, right? That's the way that she does it. Or, you know, folks will go and say, oh, I'll wait for that to become a movie or I'll wait for that to become a TV show. And they do, right? And, and you know, and then it popularizes the the um, the series or repopularizes it in many cases. But I'll, I'll bet, and I say this all the time, and I haven't had anybody push back on it. They think about it for 30 seconds. They're like, you know what? You're right. At the end of the day, when you see a movie, it's never as good as the book, right? And in part, it's because the book that hatched the movie was wow. something you read about and it was in your head. And so even though I see my characters and my plot lines in my books one way, if you were to read them, you're going to see them in an entirely different way. I hope that they're close. You know, that's the goal as a good author. You want to be descriptive enough as you're pulling people there, but everybody has their own adventure as they go through it. And they see characters in a different way. And sometimes you'll go into a movie theater uh, I'll give you a perfect example of one is Jack Reacher. I've been reading Lee Child for years and all of a sudden Tom Cruise, like five foot six, Tom oh, Cruise God, is playing six foot, foot eight Jack Reacher. And you're like, what? Like, how did that happen? You know, it's just jarring to you. Right. And so it's like, wait a minute, that's not Jack Reacher, you know, and nothing against Tom Cruise. He did a good job in the movies. He did but a great like, job. Yeah. And, and now yeah, they replaced it, him with a mountain of a man. Did you see? Oh, but that's Jack Reacher. That's what he, <laughs> in my head, that's exactly what I saw. You know? And so that's just one mm -hmm. example of how sometimes, but for me, when I was reading Leech, it was always perfect because I saw him exactly the way I wanted to see him. And sometimes taking on a different medium, whether it's a comic book, whether it's a video game, whether it's a, a, a movie or whatever, um, oftentimes that changes perspectives and people look at things differently. And, and that's why authors sometimes hawk over that work to make sure that it's represented in a way that they think best fits what's in their novels so well and i can understand that i mean today's society is more of a instantaneous gratification a lot of people don't want to wait i mean i am i am an advocate for reading my our, my kids read from the time that they were three four years old we were reading to them in the womb we thought that was important growing up with a journalist growing up with a writer you know my father instilled upon me the value of books and the value of reading and the value of what's there in, the, in print I worked for a newspaper myself. I, I absolutely 100% value it. But today's society is, is instant gratification. So, you know, when they go to see, again, like you said earlier, I'll just wait for the movie or I'll wait for that. But at the same time, I think it also allows those individuals that don't read can, can still take value in what somebody like you has presented and created and 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 live it can see it can feel it can can almost touch it from that perspective so yeah hopefully you can move your stuff forward in that direction as well um and, and get it to a point where it it's there what's the process you use in building a world like that 
Well, you have to start with good concepts, right? Um, they have to be unique enough that people will fall in love with them and want to know more about them. But there also has to be a thread of realism in it so that people can suspend disbelief, right? So if you had a world that had, you know, no gravity, for example, and, you know, or, you know, three moons or whatever it might be, you, you literally have to convince, you have to share something that's familiar with people so they can grab it and then build a world around it that's uh, that's that's different enough that they can fall in love with it. So when you look at Tolkien, it was you know sort of like a, a European medieval culture with magic in it, and you're like, oh, okay, I can I get everything except it's magical, and then from that comes a variety of of of, of books in that genre. You know, C.S. Lewis being one, again, where you get this magic because they, they fall into a new realm. But the realm, you know, basically has a sun and a moon, a night and a day. Um, you know, but you, in our realms, you have to describe to people how things happen. So, like, I, you have to build a world and tell them what the monetary system's like, what the religious systems are like, what the governmental systems are like, what the history of the realms are. And so oftentimes, fantasy novels become epic fantasy just because of the length of books that you have to write to create a strong enough world that people can believe them and live in them, as well as, uh, you know, provide them with all this background and history. If you go back and look at what Tolkien had done with Lord of the Rings, he created his own language for elves. He created um, his own magic systems, which led to the Dungeons and Dragons games. You know, he went and created a history, thousands of years of history. And even though it might've been bullet pointed and, and looked like a, a family history or family tree, it was enough that it pulled people through. And they're like, I get it. This world exists, even though it doesn't, because it was something that they could identify with. It was something that would uh, allow them to suspend that disbelief just far enough to allow that funky stuff to creep in. So let's take Harry Potter, for example. I mean, Harry Potter is cast in, for all intents and purposes, modern day London, modern day Great Britain. Uh, and he gets on a platform nine and three quarters and disappears onto a train that wishes him, whisks him away to a magical land that parallels our world. But a lot of the rules are the same. Uh, and so he's able to use his magic and learn his magic and live safe in that realm, almost a dual life from one that he was living as an orphan in, uh, you know, in the real life. And so you see these things that come close together and they are parallel to one another and they just inter intersect every now and then just enough to make it believable that there's something else out there you see that in all sorts of genres vampire novels van you know werewolf novels the dystopian novels where something has a thread of you know a world that exists right now uh but now we're going to introduce a concept that's going to blow your mind and you know if you look at the the hunger games they had a different uh you know different government system and the way people live but it was you know this desperate you know and, and the, the, you had poor people that lived in all the districts right. and then you know the rich people lived in the in the capital and they had walls up right you know and things like that and or you know you look at divergent where they were experiment they were literally created as an experiment to find out how people reacted so that they can they can um you know affect and survive and move on and advance the culture that had destroyed it you know and and things like that but there was enough in there that people were able to follow along so as a writer you got to give them enough so they can identify with it, but then hit them hard with the concept that you're bringing to it. And so in my case, it's new monsters, new magic, new whatever. Speaking of characters and things like that, and then new monsters and new magic and so forth, how do you come up with your characters? How do you come up with, and when you think about these, do you base them on real people? Do you base them on something that you feel would fit within your storyline? Uh, all of the above, right? So, you know, some of my characters come directly from my play as Dungeons and Dragons player or dungeon master. As nerdy as that sounds, they're good stories. And you, you tell those stories while you're playing the game and they're memorable and they stick with you. And as part of that, you know, you know that you've created a good story because the people around you tell you it's a good story, right? Like they, they want more and you continue to play and, you know, all those kind of things. Um, so some of them are, are really kind of lifted from that. The other places, you're right, you know, real life. We've all seen people that are exaggerations of things, you know, and sometimes they make good characters. And I think authors, if there's one commonality between us all, I think we're all observant people. And as a result, some of us are introverted and we'll sit somewhere and not say much. 
Yeah, uh, and then there's others that will weigh in. They're not introverted at all, like me, you know. But we'll, we, you know, we'll express ourselves. But we always find things about folks, and I think you, as a police officer, would likely agree with me. You, there are patterns, and you see certain yep. things, and you, you, you kind of, in some cases. You know, you, you know things are going to happen before they happen. And for authors, we can pick up on a certain thing, someone that wears a flower all the time or a perfume that someone has or a habit that they have. And you think that will make what would be a generic character much more real because we all have that, right? We always have that, that crazy uncle that shows up and, you know, is drunk, but everybody likes him, right? And so he winds up in the story as one of my characters. You know, it's just, you know, dulled up as something else, you know, or, you know, whatever. And so... You take inspiration from real life situations, even in my stuff, because I'm a military, amateur military historian, you know, even the battle scenes in my novels, some of them have a, you know, a, a foot in, in real life um, and or, yeah, you know, and it makes it real because you, it's a story you might've heard, but you, you didn't see it this way. Right? right. And so there, there are times where, you know, in my books, there, there's a battle of Hom Hill it's called Blood Ridge, and uh, it's like the Alamo, or it's like the 300 Spartans at, at uh, Thermopylae, right? It's like that kind of stuff. It's like where a handful stood against many uh, and how they did it, you know, and to survive, or in the case of the Spartans, not survive, but accomplish their goal by not surviving. And then, you know, it, the you know inspiration for the monsters really came from mythos from around the world. I was inspired by Norse mythos, uh, Native American mythos, um, you know, some Asian mythos, some African mythos. When you read about yeah. things that aren't com like everybody knows what a vampire is. So you, if you're going to build a realm, you can build something that's unique and that's what people want. And so you go and you find threads in there. So I have a, I have a monster that's a skin stealer that's based off a native American legend for skinwalkers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, or uh, the antlered man comes from a Nordic tradition from, from a man called the master of the hunt. Uh, where he commands these dogs and he has antlers sticking out of his head, except mine is twisted and dark and not necessarily a friendly guy. <laughs> you know, this is a you know, a big, bad, evil guy. So like but you, you find things like that and you build them into the world and you, and as a good storyteller, you know that you're going to catch someone's attention with them. Yeah, that's amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think we, I mean, as a cop, I'm a people, as a people, I still am a people watcher. I'll sit in the corner where I'm sitting in a restaurant, having coffee or whatever. And, you know, I watch people. And it's just a habit, and it's a habit I develop as a cop anyway. But, you know, you watch people, and like I say, you do know. You pick up on things, and you usually can tell who the bad guys are and who's about to do <laughs> something who's not. I mean, it's just, yep. it's just it's just there. You just have it. You know, oh, it's good. It works. <clears throat> so the um, what would you consider, like I said before, this fascinates me to a point because I do understand nonfiction writing. I understand journalism, but coming from a, a fictional perspective and the fantasy in particular, do you have any um, like challenge? What are challenges if somebody was going to be a, a fantasy writer? What challenges would you kind of share with them that maybe you've gone through? Oh, there's a few, right? So, you know, not just a fantasy writer, but any kind of writer in general. I mean, you've got to write as much as you can every day. And I don't mean you have to write three chapters a day or five chapters a day. What I mean is you, you have to make it a practiced habit, one you want to get up and do to keep pace. And sometimes we all hit writer's block. Uh, other times, you know, you know, you just need a break. So I'm not saying you have to do it super religiously and, and get up at 6 a.m. and, you know, get your morning pages done. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but you should make it as habitual as you can so that you feel ingrained and then the next thing comes and the next thing comes you just get better at it over time so i look at it as a bit of muscle memory and i would suggest that you know authors do the same thing until they could find their stride as part of that secondly uh, you know writer's block happens right uh, and even to the best of us and different writers experience it differently my block comes from not being able to plan so you know i'm a planner through and through so my novels are you know, baked in, like, I know exactly what's going to happen. I write them from back to forward. So I fin I write the end of the story, go back and write the front of the story and then fill in the gaps. Um, and so I know everything that's happened in that novel. Other authors are pantsers or they fly by the seat of their pants. Uh, and as a result, um, they can like Stephen King is a perfect example that he'll sit down and just start writing an idea will come to him and he'll start to write. I can't do that. I freeze up if I don't have a direction to write to. 
someone like that will do that. And what he'll often experience is a writer's block in a different way, which is I got 10 chapters in and I have no idea where this story's going. It was a cool story, but now I've got to finish it. Where am I going? Like, I don't know how to get there. You know, and I find that my advice to other authors are surround yourself with a good group of creatives that you can bounce ideas off of. And sometimes they'll solve the problem for you as well. And they don't have to be writers. You know, they just have to be creative people. They could be artists. They can be whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, and entertainers and uh, performers, you know, folks that, you know, you can count on because they're also, you know, creatively inclined and they'll walk you through it or throw some crazy ideas at you. And you'll be surprised how that kind of shakes up the water globe. And all of a sudden those, uh, those ideas start to flow again. And the last thing I would say is don't be, don't be afraid of constructive criticism. I think a lot of authors get into a situation where uh, they have something and they don't want to share it with anybody because they're afraid of that criticism. When you get that criticism, that's only going to make your work better. You know, if, if I handed my work to you and you were a friend of mine and you just said, this is great, never read it, that doesn't help me. What helps me is someone that reads in my, or writes in my genre, either one, uh, and understands the history of it and can give me an honest opinion where they think it fits in and what's wrong with it. Or an editor, you know, going through and saying, you're killing me with these errors, you got to change them, or you're, you're being too lazy on your dialogue tags. And, you know, if, if you're open minded to it, and you're realizing that you're they're there to help you, and not to hurt you, that little bit of pain turns into a gain down the road when your novel's better for it. So, uh, you know, I know that's hard to say for many folks. I see artists all the time that draw in private and never share, right? But if they did share, they might get some of that critique that helps them do the next project better. Like, for example, my, my first book is not nearly as good as my third book, you know, and it's because I've learned over the time of doing it. And I'm hoping my 30th book isn't is much better than my third, right? So that comes with um, lending you know, a, your, your art to the public eye and allowing people to critique it and not everybody's going to like it. And that's okay. It's not for everybody. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant to have words of wisdom for those individuals. I think that anybody embarking on something, even like my podcast, I can tell you that my podcast is significantly different from episode one to now because we learn to evolve with what we're doing and to build our craft and to move forward with the things that we've done, that we've made with mistakes, and and then take the mistakes and throw them away, and learn from them, and put positives in to continue to build upon what we what we have been building. Um, <clears throat> I know that you. It, 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 this also fascinates me a little bit too. The the fact that you're doing a series, uh, speaking of building upon, um, so you've got three books in a series of four. Uh, the fourth one is going to be coming out pretty soon. On those three books, how do you pick and choose? I mean, do you pre-plan a series like that? And do you pick and choose the, let's say, which characters you know are going to continuously go through one, two, three, and four? Yeah, you know, for me at least, not all authors do that. Uh, I mentioned the Panthers before. When they're writing, they don't know what's going to happen. They, they'll write and then they, they get an idea and they'll write in a different direction. Sometimes they weave and bob. Uh, as part of that, but you know, they get to the end too. For me, I'm, I'm more engineering in my, uh, you know, like I know the end, I know what characters are going to, what's going to happen when the plot lines intersect, what characters survive, which characters don't, uh, all that kind of stuff. And that helps me write toward a goal. Like if I know that this is what I get to get done, then that happens. And I do something that's a little, I, I haven't seen anybody else do it. I'll write a character line on its own and it might be eight chapters or 10 chapters in a book. And then when I weave the multi points of view together, I put them in there like Lincoln logs or like a pieces of a puzzle. Like mm -hmm. I don't write chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, I write the character line, you know, and then I write this character's line and there's times where they intersect, right? So they come together in a way where sometimes you're writing them together because they're, they're traveling together or they're doing something together or they're in a battle together, you know, and that's cool too. But I, I kind of know it's so all have, literally five or six different plot lines going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then as my multi point of view characters intersect and come together, it kind of becomes sort of like a single point of view, not written that way, still multi point mm -hmm. of view, but now the characters are together and they're traveling in this merry band of adventurers, you know, chasing down the bad guys. And so, so you can see them together. And at that point you, you marry yourself up to the, the most important character in those scenes. And oftentimes that's the main character. So that's how I do it. Yeah, that's a unique Pardon? approach. 
Yeah, it's it's. Uh, don't ask me why I write like that, but that's how I write, and it works. It works for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, Bruce Lee. Uh, Bruce Lee always said, "Learn everything, take what's good for you, what you can use, and throw the rest away." So that's all you've done is you've realized what works for you and you put it to use. That's the best way to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I know that you're. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you research? I mean, obviously, we talked a little bit ago about it because they just brought this question up in my mind. So when you base some of the stuff on like some of the battles and things like that, do you research all of your, your like the next, this next book, each one of the books, was it based on doing previous research prior to? How do you, let me start over because I've got all these things running through my heads and they're trying to intersect like you were just talking about. <laughs> How do you research a book? Do you do all the research for each individual book or did you lay out these four books a as a whole series? How did that evolve? In my head, the whole series is the same book. It's one long story, right? Okay. It's how you break it up. And my editors and my publisher have helped me break it up in the past where it's like, this is the logical ending to this book right here. From there, right. Okay. And, and, you know, and maybe there's a cliffhanger or an epic ending and then people need to take a breath and take a beat and then start the next one. Right. So there are natural inflection points that you follow along, you know, certain, you know, plot lines where it just makes sense to break them up. But I saw it from beginning to end. And so I started writing them, them that way. Uh, and then I would just focus on the end of each of the first four books, write that, and then go back and write the beginnings and then fill in the blanks in the middle. So that's how I do it. That's not right or wrong. That's just mm -hmm. right for me. Do. Yeah, right. So like they, you know, for, you know, for, for the, from that perspective. So that's kind of how I, I looked at it as, as one big plot line. And then the places where I needed to research, I did as part of that, right? So I have a character that has a falcon and I didn't know what falcons ate, right? So you you go and research that and how they hunt and what they eat. Or in some cases, you know, I, I have a scene where a certain person, I'm not going to say who it is, uh, but a certain person gets is, is assassinated and their body is pushed down a privy, uh, which is basically a bathroom stall. For those of you who don't know the word, um, in a castle somewhere. And I needed to know how they emptied those things so that they could catch the villain, right? Uh -huh. And how they would find the body. Uh, who knows that? No one knows that. No, so you have to go it. and research that, right? You know, and then of course, you know, things alongside, you know, healing powers, a lot of the, there are folks within the, uh, the novel that I, I, I lean on for like, you know, homeopathic stuff that would, might exist in a medieval time frame, or like stuff from Wiccan, or alch alchemy and, and things like that, where there are cool solutions to stuff that mm. might have been like your great 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 grandmother's idea, you know, for a healing yeah. potion, and it just so happens to work because there's just a little bit of magic in it, right? You know, and those are the kind of things that you look for, but you want to bring them. Like I said before, you're suspending disbelief, but there's got to be a basis of realism in them. So even when the healer in my novels gives a certain route for a character to chew on so that it kills his pain that root actually exists and you know it's called slippery cool. elm bark right and and so I, and that all comes with research and then people are like oh that's really cool and then they find out that it's it's actually true and they're like oh i get it like what a great how does he know all this stuff you know like i have a naval battle for god's sakes i've be, i've been on a boat fishing I've never been, I was never in the Navy. I was never, you know, on one of the, I've never been in a naval battle. Like, and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're literally writing a story about these, these tall ships that are in a battle. So you have to learn starboard from port and, you know, what does it mean from the stern to the aft? And, you know, how does this rudder system work so that you could talk about how it was damaged? So it doesn't work that way. Uh, and it, it's a lot of research that people don't think about it. And I would, you know, I would liken it to what actors do when they play a cop, right? They go and they, they do a ride along uh, or they, they watch folks and they, they pick up on, on things and then they, they learn to say it. They learn to hold the gun the right way. They learn to fire the right way. What would they do? What would they do in a certain situation so that they're portraying their characters that way? Well, authors have to do that to make sure the books 
meet up with real life. Cause the last thing you want to do is say something happens and then someone call you on it and say, it doesn't really happen that way. Well, and realistically, I mean, you involve your characters that way. They, they become part of the conversation. They, they become part of the story from that perspective, I think, because it, it's something that would show that it can happen to them, it can happen to me. You know, if that worked for them, it can work for me. They can believe in the magic. They can believe in the in, in what's going on. And in, I think have a relationship with your characters more because of that, which I appreciate that. That's very, that's brilliant, actually, to take it from that approach. Um, I know that that speaking of, of keeping people involved in 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 like part of that conversation, I guess you could still call it a conversation um, within the book and the characters. How do you keep them engaged? Um, let me try this again. Oh, I got so many things running through my head, Joe. I can't even begin to tell you. So, how do you keep them engaged? to keep them wanting to come back to buy the next book. Is it through that that integration of all of that realities with the with the present and the past and the future? I think it's more a good story, right? You know, people read to be entertained. And as long as they're entertained, they're gonna buy the next one. I've seen stories and books be bestsellers that are just that. I mean, it's just a reiteration of the thing they read the last time, but they're comfortable with it and right. they want to read the next story. Uh, and you know, it's, you know, some people like cop stories, other people like sci-fi, you know, I write in fantasy. So, you know, my readership enjoys reading certain things and some of it they could be familiar with, but I really think it has to be a good story. It has mm -hmm. to, at its core, it has to entertain and they're entertained in certain ways, right? There's big battle scenes. There's small duels that are cool. Um, you, this, this rich world that you're creating as an author, you know, help reel them in and then they want to cast themselves in there. They're like, Oh, it'd be great to be there and to see this, you know, live and in person. And then there are tools of the trade that you can use. Like for example, at the end of your chapters, you want to have that hook to keep them reading. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can't end a chapter by something boring. It has to be something either profound or something that surprises the reader. And then what do they do? They keep turning the pages. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, or right. Yeah mini cliffhangers on mm -hmm. each of them. Right. Uh, and you can have a cliffhanger at the end, uh, or you could have something that like entirely ends and with a, the end and the series is over all those things, you know, are, are fine. But you know, at the beginning of the chapters too, what I try to do is a trick called in media res, which means that you're literally dropping yourself into a scene right away. There's no, there's no buildup where it was a dark and stormy night. You know, and the wind was rattling through the trees. I mean, that's cool. And you can get away with a little bit of that exposition at certain points. But I would rather the character show it to you as opposed to tell it to you. So, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that Michael shivered outside in the rain and, you know, and squinted his eyes as the, as the lightning flash, that's something. Now I'm in that person's eyes. Or you start with a piece of dialogue, you know, that catches someone's attention where it's like, they say something, you're like, whoa, I can't close this. I got to go to bed, but I can't close this because now I got pulled into another chapter. So I'm going to read the next 10 pages. You know, and it just so happens at the end of that 10th page, I've got a hook that's pulling you into the next one. And it's hard. You want the books to be hard to, to put down. And so as an author, you learn those little tricks and you learn them by reading other authors. You find out what does that for you, but what keeps you reading, right? And and that's how, you know, I try to, to, to do that. I put myself in a position where like, I think of my favorite books and how it was like, whoa, I blew through that in a weekend. You know what I mean? Or I read that almost in one night. Those are the kind of books I want my books to be like. What, what are, may I ask, what are your favorite books? Oh my gosh. There's so many. I have like a mini library. It's ridiculously embarrassing. And if my wife were here, she'd be nodding her head behind me, slapping me uh, for all the books that I, uh, I own. But the, the truth of the matter is, is I, as a fan of fantasy, there's, there's one big bad I mean, that's, it's Tolkien, right? So like mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, that's where everything starts and ends. Um, and then from that come Margaret Weiss and, and Tracy Hickman from Dragonlance or R.A. Salvatore with the Dark Elf series, or, you know, you mentioned Wheel of Time before, or, um, you know, any of the, the, like the Dragon Riders of Pern, or, you know, you could go through a list of like a litany of them and I'll, I'll read them all and, and just devour them. But my favorite is Tolkien quick short runner up after that is Salvatore. And then I trick everybody 
because I love reading Gothic and Bram Stoker. If you read his stuff, I know everybody has seen the movie back Dracula and they know what a vampire is. I don't know very many people that can get through the Dracula novel and not say, Holy cow, what a rich story. I mean, this guy does everything. He casts you into a realm. He uses, he used modern day, like literally the, there was a Russian schooner that sailed into the port of Whitby with no one on it. And he uses that to deliver Dracula. He made a story up about a real life event. And of course, Dracula hunts in the territory of Jack the Ripper when everything was happening. And so now you've got people that are already that this social angst about it. Uh, that's, that's part of it too. And, you know, he's got three nagging wives at the castle. So he wants to leave them there and go, go somewhere else to chase his next wife. Um, and, you know, and of course they're just evil and they're portraying Jonathan Harker and, you know, and, but you're like, when you're in Transylvania, you're there, you know, when you're in London, you're there. He has a chance. He does that. And I think that even though that might be a bit out of character for someone that likes fantasy, I think that's why much of my fantasy I would describe as dark fantasy because the heroes don't always win. And there's a bit of Gothic spun up in each of my novels. Well, in reality, I mean, vampires, they may or may not exist. I mean, I know that, you know, I watch a lot of archaeological stuff that happens on TV right now. And I follow Josh Gates with uh, Exploration oh, X yeah. and all those. Um, some of my favorite shows, and he's got like, I don't know, six or seven of them, maybe even more than that. But, you know, they were they did one where they actually found some skeletons and, and they just found one recently was like a 15-year-old kid, they said that was buried face down, chained, and a stake had been placed where the heart would be, thinking the guy was a vampire. So that's been around for a long, long time in folklore. I I loved the, the, the Dracula movies as I was growing up, but I've never actually read the book, but now you've intrigued me to go read the book. It's different than what you think it is. You will not, you will look at it and say, oh my goodness, because for the time, I'll bet you it was, it was pretty racy. There's a lot of erotic scenes in it uh, that don't go over the line, but for the time I'm certain there is. But it's funny you bring up Josh Gates. And I mentioned this earlier about real life inspiration. Yeah, One of the characters in my novel uh, is a cryptid hunter. Uh, and he's hunting these mythical horses. They're, they're called Tetrine in, in my novels. They're like, they're two horned uh, unicorns, except they're, they're dark and tall, big, you know, bigger than a traditional horse would be. And Josh Gates was the inspiration for that character in the book because he he's a cryptozoologist. He travels around the world chasing Bigfoot and Yetis and weird stuff like you just described. Yep. You know, and so I saw my cryptid hunter character as my version of Josh Gates in oh, very cool. Uh yeah, so it's funny it's like funny you mention it because that's that's where I got the idea for the for the character. For that there, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love Josh Gates. He's he's pretty cool now. I'm going to read your novels. I haven't had a chance to read them before we got into this conversation, but I, I saw my bucket list here. Well, I won't oh, say okay. I'm not going to say bucket list because I'm not that. It's on your to-be-read list. How about that? to be list. I've got to be careful what I say out here to the universe. <laughs> uh, but yes, I do, I do want to do that. Um, when, you, when you create these worlds, do you visualize, I mean, it's got to be an amazing opportunity for you from coming from inside your head to be able to visualize these. And when I, I actually learned a lot of write screenplays and, and I have a passion with movies and for writing movies and for things like that. Oh, sure. I probably have, I'll be honest with you, like your library, I probably have a collection of about 2000 movies, uh, various things from, from movies way, wow. way, way the hell back in old movies all the way up through present day. Um, and, and I learned to be a filmmaker in between being a cop and did a couple of different screenwriting conferences and film festivals and things like this. So I really, really got into movies. When I started writing screenplays, in my mind, I visualized everything that I wanted to see. Is that how you create your world? Do you visualize it and then put it down on paper? Yeah. You know, and some of it comes from real life inspiration. I've traveled a lot in my career and in my life. I've uh, been around the world. I've seen things that people just because of what I did before this that people would not see. You know, and some of it I've baked into the novels, whether it's places I've seen, buildings I've seen, uh, cities that I've seen. So, like, one of the things in my old world 
of defense lobbying was I did a lot of work at the Pentagon, right? And uh, you see new inventions there all the time. And you're not allowed to talk about them. Uh, in fact, you would get in trouble and go to jail if you talked about some of the stuff you saw. Uh, and so, you know, what I did was I created a city of advocates inside my novels, which is like an invention city. It's a scholar city where people go to learn. So it's like a big college campus that's free to all, free to learn. Everybody goes. And, you know, even the good, bad, and the ugly happen there. Uh, but they develop weapons that give the good guys and the bad guys, in some cases, advantages and disadvantages you know, in some of the bigger battles. And so you see, that's like my military historian mind meeting modern day life. And, or you see how some of these cultures, like, you know, if you spent any time with the department of state or foreign affairs, uh, you see how countries deal with one another and, and uh, expectations between that, not just with their citizenry, but between other countries, you know? And so you, you understand. So when I'm writing about the seven baronies and the king of kingdom of Warminster, how they treat with one another, you know, and that's important because that adds, a, I think, a level of realism too. you know, and then I think lastly, um, you know, from the, the perspective of, uh, you know, the, the kind of, of stuff that I wanted to do, like you said, you, you know, as, as you learned the trade of writing screenplays and filmmaking, you know, I had to learn not to write in nonfiction and I had to write, which I had been doing for 20 years and write fiction stuff. Uh, and so you find inspiration, like I mentioned earlier, with other authors and other movies that you've seen or ideas that you've had. And so for me, you know, a lot of those I had a chance to play out in a game form with Dungeons and Dragons or, uh, you know, something else that's similar to that. And you see how people react to things and what they like and what they don't like. And you just give them as much of what they like as you can. Again, with a core reason for doing this is entertaining people and telling a good story. Uh, that you hope uh, will stay with somebody and they, you hope they buy your book. But, you know, the idea is, is that at least it's out there and you're telling a story and it's yeah. memorialized in some kind of way where, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's providing entertainment value for the people that are reading it. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, video game, movie, comic book, that kind of stuff comes to fruition too. Yeah. We all want to escape. I think that, you know, especially in today's day and time, with everything that's going on, all of the infighting, the political issues, the the wars that are going on, everything that's happening, the high prices that are everything, just life, life within itself. We all need an opportunity to be able to escape and enjoy something outside that realm for a little while and kind of get away from it and escape just for just for a few, you know? So it, it people like you that create these different opportunities for us, I think are a, a brilliant way of allowing us that open door to go through so you know obviously well, thank that's, you, for... uh, you enjoy doing like i said before it energizes you when you hear someone say that and they come up to you and tell you how much they liked it you know then you want to write the next one so they can like that one better well in in fantasy if coming from growing up a ki as a kid obviously fantasy is one of the most intriguing aspects of it, it allows you more of an opportunity i think to escape because you can really visualize wow what if in my opinion, you know, when you look at something, you come into something, you go, oh, wow, what if, what if I could do that? What if I could wave a wand like Harry Potter? Yeah. You know what I mean? What if I, in Wheel of Time, what if I could walk through that, you know, that little gateway that they had into a different realm and, and change the world? It, it's a, it's an escape, and, but it's a positive escape. So I think that, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I know that you're working on your fourth novel that's going to be able to come out or that is coming out pretty soon um i've got some titles up here one of them is a story of course that you got up here but you've got three books and one coming out shortly that's right the first in the warminster saga is the last keeper and that's the one that just hit amazon bestseller uh the second one in the series Voridin's lair which is featured on the far right uh with that orangish red is the second book in the series. The third book is Trillius Gambit, which is that amethyst-colored novel uh, up front. The last one, which will be called Echoes of Ghostwood, uh, comes out right before the holidays this year in 2023. And then you mentioned the story, The Element of Time. I, I took a little different tact with that one. I tried some, a different hand uh, than writing a long epic novel uh, and instead decided to write through uh, a tool that Amazon offers called Kindle Vela. And so Kindle Vela is serialized stories where you read stories that are no shorter than 500 words and no longer than 5,000 words at one clip. 
So it teaches me to write smaller. Uh, and it, it's also teaching me to, to write a different kind of way instead of these epic and sweeping adventures. I've got to fit something in every week that averages around 1500 words. And I'm not used to that when my average chapter is 5,000 words, right? So it's, it, I'm learning how to write better. Uh, and I'm learning how to write differently through that. And the element of time is a young adult fantasy. It's a coming of age story for a young girl who finds out that she's a siren, a mermaid uh, in many respects. And uh, it's the magic around that that has recast her in this role that she doesn't know. She has uh, an amnesia and she doesn't know where she's come from. She has to relearn all the stuff that she's doing and she matures quickly because of some magic. And, you know, if, if, uh, if you like that kind of stuff, um, you know, it's told from a different perspective through the through a young girl's eyes. It's learning that she has a magical power she didn't know she had. Uh, and so if you want to check those out, you can obviously check them out at jvhilliard.com. That's J-V-H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. Uh, and I, my books can be found pretty much anywhere. If you're an Amazon shopper, you can find them on Amazon. If you want to go to my publisher, you can find them at dragonmoonpress.com. Uh, or um, you could, if you download an audiobook or an ebook, you can get it on any number of those devices on on Apple Books or Audible or Kobo, Rakuten, you name it, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you'll be able to find the stuff there. So I hope that uh, you look for it and you enjoy it. I'll make sure that uh, the links to everything and how to find you are in the show notes, so everybody can just click on that easily get to you. Um, Joe, this okay. has been a fantastic conversation. I could talk to you for another hour, Betty. Um, have me back when the fourth book comes out. I'd be more than happy to come back on. I, I will I will absolutely reach out when your next <laughs> book comes out and we can talk some more. Uh, so yeah, you'll have a chance to read the other ones beforehand, too. And then I can come in really well informed. <laughs> Coming in hot, right? Yeah, yeah. Why absolutely. did you do this? Why did Why'd you do, you do it? That's, that's my favorite. Yeah. You, you killed get that off all the my time. character. Why'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about fantasy is that dead characters don't always stay dead. Well, that's so true. Good point. Well, so yeah. true. So true. <laughs> uh, but yes, I can always say, hey, could you bring that one back? See? That's it, right. It can uh -huh. work that way. Magic. <laughs> it's the world of magic exists. Um, but yes, thank you very much for connecting with me. And thank you for sharing your journey and all the insight that you've given us. Uh, it's been great. Uh, been my I, pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. This is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom for anybody that either um, was to embark on a journey of writing fantasy and or possibly, this is a twofold words of wisdom, or possibly get somebody interested in coming in to read fantasy. Yeah, on, on the writing side, that's the easy one. Uh, don't do what I did. Don't waste time. Just do it. You know, I, I was blessed as a, through a silver lining and a very dark cloud of COVID to have the time to do something I thought I would wanted, always wanted to do and never did, and now I'm not looking back. So if you're a writer, just start. It doesn't matter if it's a paragraph, a page, or a chapter, just start. And that's a writer, that's an author. You don't know it yet, but you are. So just keep doing that. I mean, you know, For readers, uh, I always like to read things in other genres. I know it might be tough at times, and you might not see it in the same way, and you like reading things in present or you know, or you know, single point of view. And, and in our stuff, it's primarily multi-point of view characters and you know, and things like that. So you, it's, it's a little bit of a different read, but if you like adventure, if you like action, if you like mystery, if you like, so, and, and you can see like you go to see an Indiana Jones movie, this isn't that far away. You can step a couple of extra steps and throw yourself into a new realm. So uh, I would suggest that, you know, you know, folks, uh, you know, give it a run. It, worst thing happens, you read a book and you're better for it. And you can say, eh, I don't like it, you know, and you move on to the next, but you know, fantasy is, 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 you know, I, I, someone asked me to describe it in a fashion that I said this, I said, it's not Coca-Cola. It's not Pepsi. It's root beer flavored energy drink. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to like root beer and you got to be ready to spend some energy because I think it really, it supercharges you. And when you're done, you're like, oh, I was in that battle scene or I was there at that last minute, that critical moment. I was there, you know, and that fantasy is fantasy for a reason. They call it that because it's, you know, it leaves you hanging. It leaves you, you know, you, you can escape yourself and become someone else and see yourself. You can live yourself through a thousand different sets of eyes in fantasy. That's brilliant. Brilliant words of wisdom. Very much so. Very much so. Thank you. Joe, again, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. 
I hope that uh, I will reach back out to you when your book comes out again. You're going to have to let me know when it's released. And uh, we'll have okay. another conversation. And I hope that you all enjoy or join us. Let me try that again. I hope that you will all in, uh, join us in that conversation as well. So thank you very much. In the meantime, for everybody that's out there, thank you very much for being part of the show. Thank you for joining the conversation. I look forward to seeing you the next week. And uh, have a great day. Have a great week. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.